The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. I'm really excited to introduce today's guests. After meeting in college, Lauren Paul and Molly Thompson joined forces to make a documentary about their shared experience with female bullying throughout their youth. Paul and Thompson decided to create further change by giving females a platform to speak out about what they have since learned is a universal experience. What began as an idea for a documentary ultimately became Kind Campaign, a multi-platform movement that has transformed hundreds of thousands of lives, friendships, classrooms, and communities around the world. Kind Campaign is proud to offer all their school programs free of charge. With their documentary, assemblies, annual tours, Kind Club curriculum, Kind Camp, and their connected and deeply supportive online community, Kind Campaign serves as the premier anti-bullying movement for girls and has impacted millions of individuals across the globe. In a time where we as adults are learning the value of kindness more than ever, their story and mission feels perfectly timed, and I hope you enjoy. Lauren, Molly, I'm so excited to meet you both finally. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. I am too. Where am I finding both of you? I am at my home in Los Angeles. And I am at home just outside of LA in Thousand Oaks. Okay, so we're all local. I mean, we could be doing this together. I know. know. It feels like we're close to that, which is so nice. I know. It does start to feel like the world is going to be opening up again soon, right? Like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel comfortable or do you feel like you're going to have a little bit of, you got to get your sea legs again? It's interesting. I actually had a bit of an experience of like figuring that out just like a few days ago. I have both of my vaccines just feels so good. But we were having like a small hang actually with some other friends who have all been vaccinated as well. But it was like the first time I was in a room with a group of friends that I could have multiple conversations at the same time. And it was a bit overwhelming. I was telling Aaron, I was like, my brain hasn't been in this space for so long where I'm like navigating different conversations or people. Yeah. I feel like it's going to take a minute to kind of get back in the swing of that. It feels so good. I'm so excited for it. We're really anxious to get back on the road and be speaking in schools. Our virtual assemblies have been amazing, but we miss all of that. So it's been a bit of a recalibration, which I think has a lot of positives. It's just an interesting time. I think that we'll talk about it more, obviously, as we get into what Kind Campaign is about. But I think that there's something about the ethos of it that we have to apply to ourselves right now, because I think I've had a couple situations like that, too, even just like not even big social events, but just very sort of intimate gatherings with people or even running into people. And, you know, you mentioned, obviously, you're vaccinated at this point, but I think we don't know necessarily what the safety and efficacy of everything is. So you feel this like residual fear, you know, because we've been keeping ourselves safe for the last year. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into seeing people again. We need to reacclimate to being social and to exerting the energy in the same way. It's like we've been out of practice, you know? Yeah. Well, and knowing just because you're vaccinated, you're also not hundred percent safe from not getting it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. totally. Well, how have you guys been through everything? How's your headspace been? You know, it's interesting. I feel like there's so much hope for getting back into getting to see people and whatever this new normal looks like. But I think back to like a year ago and it was all very new and no one knew what was really going on. And it was around that time, actually, that Lauren and I had a conversation specific to Kind Campaign that was like, wait a second, like what does our lives look like with Kind Campaign? Initially, we had just started our tour last spring and we had just gotten like one week into it. We were about to go to New York And we realized we shouldn't be going to New York. You know, it was like right before we realized the seriousness of everything and everything really escalated. We had canceled our New York tour and then, you know, slowly we started canceling the rest of our tour as we realized how long this was going to last. But even then we didn't fully understand. And so it was around this time that we recognized that, you know, we weren't going to just be able to reschedule all of our spring schools for the fall. Like we weren't going to be in an auditorium filled with girls hugging and crying and passing a microphone, you know, to each other. And it's a really sad conversation at the time, but also, I mean, it was a really important conversation for us to have. And it was a moment where we were able to recognize how deeply our work would be impacted, but then figure out ways to kind of shift and still be able to reach girls in schools. And so I feel like my headspace has been all over the map in the last year, being able to sit here now, you know, we just finished an assembly this morning, a virtual assembly with a school and it was incredible. And Lauren and I actually talking afterwards and it's just such an interesting time to be able to reach students and to be, you know, not in their schools, but really in their homes and, and to be able to hear from them, some of the like timely specific things that they're dealing with, you know, as students going through this time period. And so Right now, my headspace is just feeling like thankful that we were able to kind of pivot in the way that we were and be able to re-edit the film, create this platform to do virtual assemblies and still reach these students who are in dire need of connection. And, you know, now almost more than ever to have this space to come together and to realize that they're not alone in what they're going through. And, you know, it's something that I think we all crave. Just knowing that throughout this last year, there have been moments, of course, where we have felt so alone because we have physically been alone, but then being able to connect with others in whatever way that's looked like for each of us, I think has been really important and and given that kind of source of of hope. You know, right now we're connecting with you, even though we're all in the same place, we could be together, but, you know, we're still able to have these conversations. Yeah, I think it's all about adaptability. And I want to learn more about how you guys started and what you're doing and obviously how things are kind of pivoting and adjusting now. But so we all know all the things that we felt that we lost during the last year. But what are some of the things that you've gained aside from people not showing up sick at parties anymore? <laughs> yeah. you know, what do you think is something yeah. that you're going to take away from this time? There's a couple things that I'm, I am thankful for during this time. Just my daughter is three years old and we were going to start her in preschool the fall that all this started. And we didn't because obviously of everything, everything yeah, going on and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the school wasn't open. And I, and I look at that, I'm, you know, even though there were so many difficult moments for all the people listening who are parents during a pandemic with kids of all ages, can't even imagine having a kid who's in school and doing Zoom school and trying to still do your job. It's just like so many I can tell you about it. I can tell you about it. Okay, yeah. I I just like props to you because I didn't go through that and that must have been so hard. But I am really thankful that we ended up, because of that, 
not starting her into school. We're going to start her this fall, but it just gave us this extra year of time with her. That was just so one-on-one. And again, there were so many moments where that was really hard, of course, but looking back on it, you know, a two-year-old, it's just such a sweet two to three. It's just sweet, like so magic, special, magical age where her brain is just like blooming in such a way. And so to be with that, like every day, I I just realized, wow, like I'm so thankful. The other thing would be, I feel like prior to this, for me personally, I was definitely running on empty relationship wise. Like I feel like I have a lot of amazing friends and also a lot of amazing acquaintances or people that kind of come in and out of my life. And I think it was kind of a way to stop and really hone in on who your people are. Like if you kept in touch with, or, you know, we're zooming with certain people during this time, like those are your people for sure. And it doesn't mean that you don't still love and appreciate those other friendships, but it kind of feels good also just at this point in life to kind of bring that. Yeah. Just bring that circle close and to really like invest in those relationships even more. It feels good to just kind of bring that back and, and, and really be intentional with your time, how much you give of yourself to other people. It's so funny that you say that because I think that that's such a commonality for yeah. women. My husband is not like trying to do without. Yeah, things. same. He's not trying to see a million <laughs> yeah. people. It's twofold. Like number one, that I think it's like he doesn't see the point in doing it. He realizes mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, I'm going to be super depleted. And then it's like this cycle. And it's kind of funny thinking about what you guys do also. It's like what you're describing is like the amazing part of being female, mm-hmm. right? Like we all want to do so much for other people and we mm-hmm. all don't want to let anybody down. We all want to like make it to everything and not disappoint anyone. There's this flip side to it too, right? In terms of female behavior that sometimes shows up in not such a positive way, but it's really funny to kind of just biologically understand why we're programmed to be like that versus men. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I've actually never really thought about it that way. That's very much in my DNA is like wanting to do all the things and totally doing all the things. And and there's part of that, that it does fill me up and I do love it. And I do, it does like bring me so much joy, but. But you're also spent and exhausted. And everyone yeah. that I talk to is like the big silver lining right now is like, I have felt really depleted. But I would say hands down, probably the way that most people have felt is that this is a time for them not to necessarily eliminate, but just to reassess and to see what things are serving them and what things aren't. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting for us all moving forward. Like, how do we practice what we preach now? And will we kind of forget about this and go back to our ways or be more thoughtful and really intentional with everything that Mm -hmm. we're doing. And, you know, so we kind of talk about doing it all, but obviously with the podcast, it's having it all. And that's really about the sort of the societal pressures that I think, again, are singular to women. And I wonder, do you guys buy into that concept of having it all? And if so, what did it look like to you? I think you you mentioned the word pressure and I feel like that's what it is. It's like a pressure to look like, and I think that's the key thing is like to look like you, you know, quote unquote, have it all. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, what does having it all mean? Cause I feel like that depends on it's society and, you know, a way like telling you what that means oftentimes specifically, like you mentioned for women. And I feel like 
particularly for, you know, women who are also mothers, there's an added pressure of like what that means for them. And and if they're, you know, working or not, or what does that look like? And what kind of help do they have or not have? And there's just so many layers to it. And I think that the biggest thing is just like that pressure of like on each of us, what are we accomplishing or what are we doing and how are we doing it? And it also makes me think of like balance. Like what is, how do you balance it all? And it's like, I kind of loathe that term just because I'm like, I'm constantly juggling. Like I'm not balancing. Like I feel like I'm constantly like throwing balls up in the air and, and hoping that I'm catching them. And, and oftentimes I feel like I'm dropping so many thinking specifically of this time and this conversation that we're having of like stripping away a lot of those the events or the to-dos or whatever and like seeing what is important and like what our takeaways are from this time of like being so thankful of the time that we've gotten with, you know, whether it be our partners or our families. And I think at the end of the day, like really what it means to have it all is just to be filled up with the things that make you feel good and strip away all of the, like the pressure of what you're accomplishing or doing. And that's really hard to do, especially in the world that we're living in specifically like via social media, because you look around and comparison is the thief of joy. And so like you can be, you can think that you've like filled yourself up and you can't have filled yourself up with like the things that bring you joy. It looks so much better to be filled up like on that yacht in the, you know, yeah, yeah, then you're like, but wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where the pressure really comes in, I think. It's kind of like yeah. interesting if you think about all the work that you're doing with students, right? And first of all, let, let's talk about the impetus of the KIND campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about how that started? That was when you guys met first in college, right? And bonded over the shared experience of having been bullied, correct? Yeah, exactly. We both went to Pepperdine together. We were in the film program there. I had an experience in middle school. Molly had an experience in high school. For me personally, that chapter of my life, it was such a transformational, deeply traumatic chapter for me that coming out of that issue, that like this conversation around female relationships, like the whole, you know, quote unquote, mean girl phenomenon was just something that was on my heart. Really up until Molly and I kind of dove into this conversation, like it was not talked about in a serious way. There was no programming in schools. We started this 12 years ago, a couple years before we started seeing all these stories of suicides being profiled on the news. And, and from there, it kind of snowballed and became conversation globally. You know, at that time, like we really didn't know how people would respond to it. It really just came from, again, like us having these personal experiences. I had worked on a documentary film called I Am with a director who actually ended up funding our documentary and is really a huge part of our journey with Kind Campaign and making it all possible. Really just feeling inspired by that format of film and feeling like that could be a really perfect way to to share this story. And Molly and I, again, we were in film school together and we sat down the summer going into our senior year and just were chatting and catching up. And then the conversation just kind of naturally flowed into this and, and what it could look like to make a film about this topic and to really take it seriously for the first time. And at that point, we didn't have any, you know, grand plans for a nonprofit or school assemblies and all the stuff we've been doing over the last decade plus. It was really just to collect these stories and kind of check the temperature and and really see how people would respond. And so we started shooting local interviews and it was really through that initial footage we were collecting where we were hearing girls and women just pour out their hearts. And it was so obvious to us that we were kind of popping the lid off of something and realizing people have been waiting to 
talk about this and to try and get to the root of it and to create positive change. And so we went on a road trip around the country right after college and we shot all over collecting footage and and collecting stories. And that was when we were really test piloting this idea for a school assembly program. So interesting in hindsight, you know, we were 22 years old, fresh out of school. The timing was just right. Like there's no way we could have just done that now. Like we didn't have any background. Molly made like hundreds of cold calls to schools and, you know, we got a group of schools that were like, sure, come in and do an assembly with our students. Like, again, that would never happen now. So we're so thankful. You know, the timing was just right. And we realized like the first time we went up on that stage and did an assembly, we kind of looked at each other after. And it was not only the effect that we saw the program have and like witnessing girls apologizing to each other in real time and like making amends and sharing their stories, but then also realizing, oh, wow, like we're good at this too. Like we, we were filmmakers, but... I guess we're public speakers. Like we're the people that are coming in and doing the assemblies now. And it was just so obvious that like, that's what we were supposed to be doing. And that maybe the film was actually just a a road into that for us too. The film actually lives at the heart of all of our programming screens in schools pretty much every day. Yeah. it, It was an incredible journey and really kind of put us on track to do everything we've done over the last decade. And it's just grown exponentially since then we have on average, pre-COVID, anywhere between three to 400 school assemblies happening every school year, led by Molly and myself or volunteers, faculty all over the world. It's been such an incredible journey and, and really to feel like we we were kind of there on the forefront and have also had this really interesting seat in schools, watching this conversation also evolve and change in so many ways over the last 10 years. Okay, so prior to creating this film, this was not something, you know, when we talk about kind of designing your life, this was not where you saw your lives going. You guys were pursuing the filmmaking route, not going into creating a whole structure around this idea. So yeah, like Lauren mentioned, we, you know, originally went into, I mean, what now is Kind Campaign, but went into this with, you know, the idea of doing this documentary, not knowing at the time all that it would turn into. And, you know, like she mentioned, it was really when we were in schools doing the assemblies, which really the initial reason for, you know, even hosting an assembly and going into do a school was to capture footage for the film and to create an organic way to have this conversation in schools. That's really where the assembly started was the film. And then it was after witnessing the change that was created during the assembly that we realized this is what we need to be doing. This is where the change is going to happen. The film being a huge part of that, of course, and the students kind of go on a journey, go on that you know road trip with us through the assembly. But after the film, during the assembly is when we really kind of take all of that conversation and then dive in deeper to create the change. And that's where that happens is through the different interactive activities and the conversations that happen, you know, addressing how they and we can create that change. And and it really is a light bulb moment for these students when they realize the power that they have when they use their voice to be mindful of the things that they're saying to others, to be aware of the power of an apology and the fact that, you know, a big message behind Kind Campaign is that we've all been on both sides of this issue. We're not pointing the finger at anyone and saying, you know, you're a mean person because we have all said and done things that have negatively affected other people. And there's really a lot of hope within that because in that moment, they realize that they are the ones who have the ability to create change. And there's so many times where Lauren and I, you know, look at each other 
other in the room or now, you know, via Zoom and just have tears in our, in our eyes because of the things that we're witnessing take place between these young people. We're just constantly inspired and impressed and, you know, their willingness to be vulnerable. So you guys started this 12 years ago, which was obviously pre-social media. And Lauren, you said you were bullied in middle school. And Molly, when did your situation happen? In high school, my junior year. Okay. So what did you find as the commonalities? Just early stages, when you started to visit the schools and you started to talk to the students, what were your findings as far as the commonalities as to what was happening and the causes and how we're getting into the situation? What we learned pretty quickly was that every story is different as far as what particularly is happening, the details of something happening between two friends, the things happening within a specific community. But the through line is the effect of those experiences and how no matter really what the specifics look like, that pain and that broken heart and that struggle is universal. And that was something we just immediately realized like, wow, it doesn't matter where we are in the country, speaking specifically to the film that we made 12 years ago while we were on that road trip collecting the footage, it doesn't matter you know, where we are in the country or what has happened to someone specifically, that brokenness that someone feels over feeling ostracized or cast out or talked about behind their back, you know, whatever that looks like, it's just that pain is the same. It's the, it's universal. And I think that through line really inspired us. I think every person can relate to this, obviously, but specifically with girls and women, it is something that, I mean, you like down to the detail, like you remember what that girl was wearing when she confronted you in the school hallways, or you remember exactly what that woman said to you at work. You know, it's like these things are ingrained inside of us and you remember how you felt. You know, we we speak with girls, but also women who the trajectory of their life was affected by things that happened to them when they were younger and, you know, how they develop relationships with other women now, or even in romantic relationships or the relationship they have with themselves, how those wounds still remain from being called fat when they were seven, you know, in seventh grade or, you know, not being, you know, able to sit with someone at lunch because of X, Y, and Z. Like these are things that just cut really deep no matter what's going on. I'm like triggered by my own experiences. I remember I had a terrible bullying situation my freshman year of high school. Like I had to switch schools. It got so aggressive and it was not even like a friendship gone south. It was so terribly mean and horrible. And I think about it now and I think about it as myself as a woman, but as a mother too, because I know And I'm curious if you found this with some of the girls that you talked to. I never once confided in my parents. I never once told them what was going on. I was so mortified. I was so embarrassed. I was really also so scared. And now in retrospect, it's like, I don't know what I was so scared was going to happen. These girls would call my house and they'd be so nice to my parents when they answered the phone. And my mom would happen to me too. Yeah. It's your friend. Yeah. And I would get on the phone and it's like, we're going to fucking kill you. And I would just hang up the phone and literally sob in my bed. But I never once said, hey, mom, this is going on. And I'm really worried because you don't. It's interesting because, listen, I think that there's a lot of women that still 
bully other women and yeah. that are mean girls and mean women. And I know a lot of them. And, and you see I it in the mother, know... the community of moms too. Like that's oh my God. world of like mom shaming, which is just insane to me, but that's a whole nother thing too. It's kind of even what Molly said too. It's like, even in the whole sort of like the notion of having it all, she said, oh, it's about like things looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I think that has an inherent bullying quality about it. If you think about it, because there's this judgment, right? That is Mm -hmm. like either implied or spoken. And are you working? Do you sit at home? Do you do so many areas for judgment? Do you feed your child this way? Do you have kids? Do you not have kids? Are you married? Are you in a relationship? You know, all the things that we continue to do as adults But I wonder, do we think, does this start at home? If you look at girls' behavior, if you look at people who are bullying other people, do you think it starts at home? Do you think it comes from, obviously, certain insecurities on their own? What have been your findings as far as those things? You know, definitely the example that young people are seeing at home is plays a huge role. It's not black and white. Every situation is different. And you mentioned insecurities. And what we found is that that's really oftentimes what it comes down to is the insecurities that we all harbor, the female experience and how universal it is, is a lot of times it is rooted within those insecurities that creates this jealousy that we might feel towards others. Um, and then that can play out in the way that we treat other people. And when you think about that as a, a collective whole, where are these insecurities for females coming from? Oftentimes they're coming from, you know, the messages that we are fed, the way the media portrays females' relationship, which I think there has been a shift definitely in just that conversation as a whole from when we started until now. It has been hopeful for us to see that conversation look different and women's relationships and female relationships are being celebrated. And that is more of the conversation, which has been really encouraging to see because I think a lot of those messages specifically in the media came from the way that females were portrayed. As parents, the way that we talk to our friends on the phone, the way that we talk about people to our partner, the way that we talk to our kids, all of those whether we realize it or not, are an example to our our children of how they should be talking about their friends or to their friends. And then just obviously everyone, you know, has their own experience at home and deals with things at home that might make them feel a certain way and, and come to school and act out in a certain way. And so it's not black and white, but a lot of times it does really come down to the the insecurities that we all harbor. And, and so I think finding hope in that and realizing that we are all in this together and And when you think about it like that, it's like, it's so backwards that we wouldn't be lifting each other up and supporting each other through that and making sure that the conversation is always includes, you know, women supporting one another rather than women taking each other down to, to get ahead. So that's where it has been really amazing to see that shift. I love that you brought up the media though, Molly, thinking about how women and girls especially are all consumed with the things that we see, the things that are portrayed and even just to think back 10 years and what the typical girl friendship looked like in like a high school drama versus now Mm -hmm. is completely different. Like you can't and shouldn't portray women like that. And now it's like not okay. I do appreciate how sensitive we are being in so many ways because the way women are portrayed, the way female relationships are portrayed. And it's no surprise that that has a profound impact on us. I am so happy to see how much those messages are changing and how that's mirrored in the conversations we're having. It's not cool to be a mean girl. That's like very much the vibe. Like in schools, 
Whereas when we walked into schools before, there was no conversation about this. Now it's rare that we walk into a school and it's not like this is a no tolerance zone. This is who you talk to if you need help. Also the conversation around seeking help and talking about things. And like, obviously there's going to be conflict. Like everything's not going to be perfect all the time, but to just deal with things in like a humane, healthy way, it's really encouraging to see how that's shifted. And and I, I really do feel like we witnessed that in a positive way mirrored in girls' relationships. Yeah, I think about where things were when you started. And like we said, there was no real social media and there was no Instagram. So you have like, forget about the people who exist literally just to troll people anonymously who sit with so much hate or so much time on their hands that they want to do that and feel emboldened from behind a screen. But then we had a president who was in office who totally used his platform to very publicly belittle, bully, all these sort of mores that you felt like somebody in that position is meant to uphold, no matter what your politics are, just to stand for a certain righteousness, a certain decency that you treat people with. And that's gone out the window. Yeah. If I flash back to my situation, had I felt that there was an outlet or something for me to pursue to even deal with what I was dealing with, it would have been so different. I probably would not have had to switch schools. I would not have had to have lived in so much fear of this particular group. It's interesting also because I think within our social circles, I think that there's still a lot of women who do maintain that kind of mean girl behavior. You know, oh, yeah. It's really quite sad to see. Very much still happens. You know, we're, we're actively in school all the time. And while there is, has been such an evolution with the conversation and so much positive forward movement, the same things are also still happening. Whereas before, I think there was this cycle without any conversation or real urge or, you know, movement to change. Now that is existing with the negative. And for us, like you mentioned earlier, when we started this, there was no social media. Like when we started Kind Campaign, Instagram didn't exist, which is crazy. So we've really had this front seat to witness in real time over the last 12 years how that affects students in schools and how that's changed relationship, um, not only with each other, but with yourself. And it's just, it's a lot. I mean, students are dealing with so much. No, but thank God that they have you guys also and that they have school administrations who want to bring this messaging in. And I think, like you said, things have evolved so much over the last 10 years that I think as adults, we do our best to process. And so forget about the fact that I'm a grown woman and I see things and I'm like, oh, okay. So I was not invited. And that like still has a sting as an adult adding in everything that's been going on in the world. And then all the racial trauma that has been being experienced by so many and just the visibility that we all have in real time of everything that's happening. It's almost too much to bear. So it's like trying to strike that balance of being informed, but not so discouraged from moving forward because you just want to throw up your hands and just say like, it's enough. Well, that's Molly. You kind of touched on that. Like they were like still so hopeful and like, it was like such a beautiful kind of takeaway. And that must too. give you guys hope too, to continue mm-hmm. doing what you're doing and to yeah. evolve. What are some of your takeaways you think for people who either have kids who are in school or are still dealing with some of the residual pain of having gone through bullying themselves in any way? What are some of the takeaways that you might add to them? 
just how hopeful they still were, but then also just how supportive they were of each other. And there's like a little chat, you know, on the Zoom where they were like, someone would be sharing something and then everyone else was just like encouraging them and saying like, yes, like you're speaking facts, like this is the truth. And so it was really heavy, but at the same time, it was also so beautiful to witness the moment that they were going through just how much hope they had and have and how supportive they were of each other. And, and especially they're not in school, they're not getting to see these people in person other than via the computer. And so to still have that sense of community. And so specific to then what, what you were saying of, you know, whether it's a parent who is kind of trying to navigate this with their child or someone who has gone through this and maybe is still kind of navigating it themselves. I think, you know, one of the biggest things is just the reminder, whether it's a parent reminding their child or, you know, just reminding yourself that, you are not alone in what you're going through and finding hope in that sense of community of knowing that that you're not alone and, and that you do have a support system of people out there and also reminding yourself of the perspective that again as a parent you know to a child trying to give them the perspective that this is just one chapter of their story and it's so hard because when you you know are going through it even as an adult you know when you're going through anything that's hard or traumatic it feels like that is going to be all consuming for the rest of your life. And there's no way to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, specifically talking to a parent, something that we always encourage parents to do with their children, if their child is going through something or not, but you know, obviously specific to our conversation is not only be open with maybe experiences that you've had when you were younger, or, or even currently of things that you've gone through and sharing that with your child, just because that really helps to open that line of communication to make sure they feel comfortable sharing with you, like you mentioned, you know, you didn't talk to your parents about what you were going through. And, and that's one of the big things that we, you know, share in our assemblies is just how important it is for people to reach out when they're going through something that's hard, which that also goes for adults as well. Just, you know, reaching out to others for help and sharing what you're going through is so important to help you kind of get to that place of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And then specific to parents for their children is enrolling them in some sort of extracurricular activity outside of school, finding an outlet for them to develop community outside of seeing the same kids in their school hallways and being connected to them on social media and all of that, but finding a community of like-minded people um, where they can not only express and develop their interests, but also develop friendships that aren't in school is really, really important. What do you guys do, you know, because you couldn't do what you're doing without really feeling a lot of the pain that some of the kids are communicating and you want to maintain your strength to be able to be an outlet for them, but obviously you're human and you have to take this on. How do you guys practice kindness towards yourselves so that you continue to be able to show up for people in the best way? Yeah. I mean, when you open up these spaces in schools, the topic is bullying, but it allows students to feel really safe to share all sorts of things going on in their lives. So there are definitely conversations Molly and I have after our assemblies about, you know, abuse taking place at home or horrible things that you just want to just take the kid home with you. It's, it's, it is really hard. And just so you know, we actually require school counselors to be at all of our assemblies, even our virtual ones so that we can find further support for certain students. We also pay an in-house counselor within Kind Campaign, like when we get really sensitive emails and, and things or just having a resource for students to turn to. We take that very seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, speaking to our assembly specifically, I think because we do see so much beautiful change take place, like the, the things that we witness, although there are a lot of hard things, 
are overwhelmed by the goodness and the beauty that we watch. Like the amount of girls who apologize to each other, who mend these like conflicts that have been going on for years during our assemblies, that girls letting us know that they were thinking about committing suicide, but through the experience realized they want to keep living. Like these are the things that encourage us to just be so excited to continue what we do, even though of course there are hard things that we hear and witness in a daily practice, like in a personal space. I don't know. I feel like I go through waves. There are chapters where I feel like I'm really good about self-care and like taking time for myself in particular, love reading poetry. That's like very kind of nature centered is always like a grounding space for me. I, I always like light a candle in whatever room I'm in. It's like a very simple thing, but really makes me feel good. Little things like that. But then there's also chapters where I feel like I'm not intentional and I'm just like overwhelmed by life and things. And I feel like right now I'm in and out of waves of feeling like I'm good at that. And I, and actually for me, like my friends are such a huge part of where I draw strength and inspiration and also rest. I'm, it's funny. I'm like kind of an introverted extrovert, but like my true self is like, I recharge with people. So like having dinner with a friend or like sitting down and just like talking is for me more like soul rejuvenating than being alone and like recharging. So that's, that's a major thing for me. Like I love talking on the phone, like picking up the phone and like Molly and I talk on the phone all the time. So yeah, little things like that. What about you, Molly? Yeah. Well, I think Lauren, you know, really touched on it in regards to just how we navigate doing what we do and continuing to be able to do that when there are really heavy things. And there's definitely certain assemblies that I feel like it takes us a minute to come off of or like to kind of let go of, you know, there's times where we, particularly when we would be like on the road and, you know, afterwards would have a really heavy conversation and we would talk about it as we're like walking to the car and getting in the car and then we'd sit with it for a little bit. Oftentimes we'd be on our way to another assembly, but we'd like just kind of like be in silence a little bit afterwards just to kind of feel it, but then also to not harbor it and to not like let it, all of the things that we hear, if we like really put them on and like felt them and didn't, didn't know how to let go of them, we wouldn't be able to continue doing what we're doing. And so to then shift and, and refocus on the beautiful moments that take place. And, and that is really what like fires us up and continues to inspire us to try and reach as many people as possible. And, and actually, as I say that there's like a specific, this assembly was probably, I don't, I mean, who even knows, like five or eight years ago, it was somewhere on the East coast in like a tiny little town. And afterwards, I just remember one of the girls, like with tears in her eyes, was just like, like, you can never stop doing this. Like you always have to do this. And like, it was just like, okay, things like that, that just kind of help when things feel heavy. A big thing for me is like shifting my perspective on things or on if something is feeling really overwhelming or really heavier, just like too much. I feel like finding joy and just like the most simple moment, whether that's my, one of my little babes, like laughing or like tickle, you know, just like getting on the ground and just like playing with them and, and kind of refocusing of what's important and realigning whatever it is that might feel off balance or like, you know, if I'm in a funk of some sort, it's like, what is the most important thing? And for me, it's kids and my family and and friends. So, you know, doing something to give me that perspective shift really helps a lot. Well, you guys, everything that you do in your work is so intentional. And I applaud all the efforts that you make. And I know how hard it is to 
in light of how much your lives have changed over the last 10 years. And you now have all these other aspects of your life that you have to tend to. And it's hard to always be able to put the same amount of time and effort into it when you're getting pulled in all these other directions. And like you said, balance just doesn't exist. So I really applaud everything that you're doing to still better these communities of kids and to help change the narrative about what this looks like and how we can better treat each other and ourselves. And I wonder for you today, knowing what you know, what would your having it all look like to you? I feel like humans are such storytellers. Like everything is a story we tell ourselves. And like, I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine who is a woman in her early thirties. And she said, I don't think I want to have kids, but I feel like that's crazy to say as a woman, like I feel shame in saying that. And, I, and we just, it's spiraled into this conversation of the stories we tell ourselves, like you have to do this, you have to have this thing or have this career or have this many kids or be married or that story looks so different for each person. And the obvious thing that pops up is just having health within my family. I think is probably the only thing I actually care about, just like my husband and my child and, and my immediate family and just the people I love, my friends being healthy and content in their their own lives is super important. And I was having dinner with my husband the other night and he asked me, he's like, is there anything else outside of Kind Campaign that you really want professionally? And it was interesting. I was like, I don't know. I still feel so deeply committed to and moved by what we do that I, I think I have a hard time like seeing outside of that and understanding what that might look like. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm happy with the here and now and like the present moment of where I'm at, which is continuing to do the work that we do and, you know, watching my three-year-old grow and turn into this amazing person. And, and outside of that, like, we'll see, I guess. I, I'm not sure what it looks like. Yeah. It's ever evolving. I love that. Sometimes it's so hard to answer questions after you. <laughs> Stop. You're like, um, and what she said. So ditto. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That was a compliment. Um, Thank you. It was, yes, a big compliment. Yeah. I, I, well, actually something that you said like really resonated with me of, I feel like the only way really to even look at, you know, having it all is the present moment. And so as I'm like sitting here, you know, right now we did an assembly today. Like I just, right before we got on the podcast, I got to put my little two-year-old, almost three-year-old down for a nap because he really wanted me. And we only had like a few minutes before and I got to do that and then come in here and do this. So just thinking about, you know, this present moment. And I feel like this, you know, right now is having it all, being able to, to do something that I love so much and feel so thankful for while also being surrounded by my loved ones, my family, my friends. So like right now is having it all for me. This is it, guys. This, this is, is it. it. I want to <laughs> You know, but yeah, just it is ever evolving and ever changing. And, and I think there's so much beauty in that. You know, remembering that when right now doesn't feel like having it all, I think is honestly the most important thing on those days where for me, I call it like being in a funk. Everything is just not okay. It feels like in that moment. And, you know, similar to when you're going through something with bullying or, you know, the conversation that we've been having today and those moments, you, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you don't feel like you'll ever feel like you're, you know, you have it all. So to remember that it is ever changing and, you know, your circumstances, they can change at, at any given moment for better or for worse. And so just to hold on to the present moment and to appreciate all that you have, like right now today in this moment that is having it all it's like your zoom before i want to write on our chat big facts 
Yes. (laughs) Big facts. I love talking to you guys today. I really appreciate your time and sharing everything that you're doing. For anyone who wants to get involved or to follow you, where can they find more information? Yeah. On social, anything is at kind campaign. You're on Instagram, kind of update Twitter, like most active on Instagram. And then yeah, our website's kindcampaign.com. So you can go there. All of our programming's free of charge if you're interested in booking an assembly for your students. Again, right now we're doing virtual assemblies. We'll hopefully be back on the road in person soon, but the virtual assemblies really are profoundly impactful and work really, really just as well in their own way. So, And are you guys looking for volunteers? Yeah, we have a volunteer program called Kind Ambassadors. So mm-hmm. we right now have volunteers all over the world that go into their local communities and spread our programming, our assembly program, as well as our 19 week kind club curriculum. So we have a whole program. We actually have a zoom call with our new ambassadors tomorrow. We do that once a month, kind of like training them and, you know, answering questions and, and yeah, it's a, it's a great way for you to get involved with kind campaign. If you're interested. I love that. Thank you guys so much. And we will continue to follow along. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting. You too. Having It All in Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.